Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Welcome to the Radioactive Show The Rad Show is produced on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations And broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network My name is Lavanya. Last month, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's Osman visit and hints at Australia hosting U.S. missiles in the Northern Territory raised many concerns about provoking and even blindly following the U.S. into war with our greatest economic partner, China. In this episode, I interview Vince Capitura to discuss these developments. Vince is a teacher of political and international studies at Macquarie University with a research background in Australian-American foreign policy and international relations of the Asia-Pacific. Recently, uh, the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, floated the idea that Northern Territory host intermediate-range missiles for the U.S. and also called for Australia to band together, quote-unquote, against China. China is Australia's greatest trading partner and poses no direct military threat. So what would be the implications of such an ask for our relationships with China and for the global economy? Uh, well, it would result in a significant deterioration in our relationship with China. Uh, China already responded quite forcefully um, after that announcement uh, was made by uh, Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo uh, and the Defence Secretary uh, Esper. China responded by saying that they thought that this was a very uh, provocative suggestion uh, and that they would take countermeasures, um, unspecific, unspecified countermeasures, but countermeasures if the, uh, if the US uh, proceeded with their plan to host uh, intermediate-range missiles, uh, potentially um, in Australia, but in, in the Asia-Pacific region or Indo-Pacific region more generally. So certainly China wouldn't take too kind uh, to the idea of Australia hosting uh, missiles. It would just increase the perception that uh, Australia has strategically uh, aligned itself with the United States uh, in building up in preparations for a potential war. You're also a member and supporter of the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network, and in a recent media release, IPAN said that this move risks crossing the nuclear threshold. Can you speak a bit about that as well? Yeah, sure. So, of course, any war between the United States and China, given they are both nuclear powers, uh, runs the risk of crossing a, you know, the nuclear threshold. Um, now, the, the uh, Intermediate Nuclear Forces Agreement, the context of that agreement, um, is the following. It was negotiated in 1987 uh, during the Cold War between the former USSR and the United States. Um, at the time, it was Gorbachev in power and uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, and they recognise quite rightly that both uh, nuclear uh, forces but also conventional uh, missiles, ground-based missiles, uh, between the ranges of 500 and 5,500 kilometres should be eliminated as a class of weapon because it increased the likelihood of a miscalculation. And the reason for that is because uh, missiles, US uh, missiles placed in, in Europe uh, pointed at uh, Russia and uh, Russian missiles pointed at Europe because the distances are so small. Uh, the time for those missiles to, to reach their targets would be um, would be quite quick and uh, reduce the time um, for a, a potential uh, judgment about whether 
um, there was a false warning or not. And so it was recognised that uh, it increased the risk of, of miscalculation uh, and an inadvertent nuclear war. So that, all that, that entire class of weapon uh, was banned. Um, mm-hmm. Now the US is withdrawn from the treaty. Uh, it's uh, alleged for a number of years that Russia was in violation of the treaty. Uh, there were counter allegations as well that the US was in violation of the treaty too. Uh, but instead of taking the sensible path of requiring mutual, uh, independent, verifiable inspections to determine whether uh, those violations were uh, accurate or not, uh, the U.S. has withdrawn. And I think it's widely recognised uh, amongst the international community, particularly amongst the arms control community, that this is highly destabilising. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, China was never a part of the INF Treaty. It was a bilateral treaty. And the reason being is that at the time, in 1987, China wasn't considered you know, a major power in terms of its missile capabilities. Um, but since that time, it has amassed a, uh, a significant arsenal uh, of conventional-based intermediate-range, short-range and intermediate-range uh, missiles. And so one of the unofficial reasons for the U.S. withdrawing is to kind of um, redress this uh, imbalance uh, with China. Um, but what it does is uh, it increases the uh, likelihood that China, and in fact China is already uh, responding by uh, modernizing its nuclear forces uh, because it recognizes that uh, um, uh, U.S. intermediate-range missiles surrounding China could undermine China's nuclear deterrence uh, capability. And so in response, China's uh, modernizing its nuclear weapons, it's modernizing its nuclear doctrine, um, and all that doesn't bode well for the um, for the potential for a, a conventional conflict to escalate into into nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so even though, like you said, China wasn't originally part of the treaty, it has opened uh, strategic opportunities for China in the South China Sea region, specifically against the U.S. Yes. Yeah, so um, the the uh, the the um, main purpose for China increasing its um, conventional uh, missile uh, arsenal has been to prevent the United States from projecting power you know, in China's air and maritime approaches in the South China Sea. Now, the U.S. wants to now counter that. It doesn't like the fact that it can't project power right up to China's shores. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's developing military doctrines, um, uh, new missile technologies, and has, of course has withdrawn uh, from the INF Treaty uh, to redress the imbalance. I mean, imbalance is a bit of a misnomer. There was never a balance. This is about uh, the U.S. being able to project power as, as close as it can um, to China's shores. And China, of course, sees this as a, uh, as a uh, security threat to itself. Okay, which um, brings us to northern Australia. How does Darwin come into all of this as a host for these missiles? And why is Darwin strategic to the U.S.? Right. So uh, in terms of missiles, the fundamental reason is that uh, the concentrations of U.S. forces in the region, um, in Guam, in Japan, in South Korea... They come in within the range of uh, Chinese uh, intermediate-based um, uh, 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 cruise and um, ballistic missiles, uh, whereas Darwin uh, is outside of the range of almost all of China's um, uh, conventional missile cap- capability. Uh, so it means that because those other U.S. bases are vulnerable um, uh, and Darwin is not, it makes Darwin uh, a potential uh, base for U.S. operations uh, in any future war uh, with China. Um, so that includes not just potentially hosting missiles uh, here, uh, but also uh, large numbers of forces which could be rapidly um, 
engaged in expeditionary operations in the South China Sea and Southeast Asia um, to uh, protect or to cut off maritime um, choke points um, in an embargo on China uh, or during a war with China. So Darwin, for that reason, has been flagged by the United States as um, kind of a convenient location for uh, force projection uh, into the region. And um, the U.S. already has some military operations and agreements ongoing in Australia. What are some of these operations or even legal infrastructure that would act as uh, levers for the U.S. to pressure Australia into hosting these missiles in the future? Right. So I should just be clear first that we're not talking about nuclear uh, uh, missiles. Mm -hmm. Um, The U.S. uh, Defence Secretary Esfer made clear that he's talking about uh, increasing um, uh, conventional uh, uh, ground-based ballistic and cruise missiles. Um, in, in various allies, and he, and, and he didn't specify which allies. Um, uh, and these missiles are still in development. They'll be some years away before at least the longer-range ones will be ready for deployment. Um, but So con- conventional-based missiles. Um, but uh, Australia already has, as a result of an agreement that was reached between uh, uh, former Prime Minister Julia Gillard and, and President Barack Obama in 2011, um, a, a, a Marine Air Ground Task Force. Uh, which uh, permanently rotates uh, through uh, Darwin every year during the dry season. Um, it's been increasing in, in, in number uh, steadily since 2012 when the first contingent came, uh, and just this year it reached its its highest ever number of 2,500 uh, U.S. Marines. Um, so it's it's not just those Marines. There's the uh, prepositioning of, of military equipment. There's ex- expansion of um, of uh, runways, of airports, of of, of, of uh, of ports um, to increase uh, access and capability of uh, the United States to launch sustained operations uh, from Australia in any potential war. Um, so as I mentioned, it includes prepositioning ammunition, um, uh, bulk fuel, uh, and other strategic resources necessary for the U.S. to, to, um, to um, uh, conduct military operations uh, from Australia. Now, all of this makes it very, very difficult for Australia to extricate itself uh, from any uh, involvement in any U.S. war with China. Mm-hmm. Recently, we had the Talisman Sabre exercises. These are the major biennial uh, military exercises between Australia and the United States and a number of other countries. Um, and they're about integrating Australian and U.S. forces um, uh, in terms of strategic doc- doctrine, in terms of logistics, logistics in terms of uh, standard operating procedures, in terms of weapon systems, communications. Uh, so Australia is effectively being integrated into the United States uh, to more seamlessly be able to fight uh, 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 in wars together. Um, and as the U.S. prepositions more equipment in Australia, as it invests more here, um, it makes it very, very difficult for Australia to resist the kind of uh, pressure that the U.S. is now putting um, on us to align even further with their uh, strategic objectives vis-à-vis China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's this idea of... Um uh, interoperability, which is how the U.S. and um, the Australian government classifies its uh, military relationship with the U.S. So, what are some ways in which the U.S. and Australian military are interoperable? It's about uh, integrating weapon systems, communication systems, um, um, uh, uh, making sure that there are uh, logistical supply lines that both can draw on. Um, there's integrating the, the uh, strategic doctrines of both uh, of both countries so they can more seamlessly uh, operate with one another. 
So recently in the, and this is very relevant to our discussion about uh, the potential for Australia to host missiles, uh, recently in the latest Talisman Sabre exercises, the US uh, brought from its air bases in Okinawa in Japan uh, a HEMA system, a high mobility artillery rocket system, which is basically a big truck with, um, with missiles on top. Um, that can be inserted into a, a theater of operations, and it's very difficult to detect. It can launch its missiles, and then it can move so that it can't be targeted. So the U.S. brought this this system to Australia for the first time um, to help Australian forces train in the use of this um, of this system. Um, now, this system at the moment has uh, rockets capable of of firing up to 300 kilometers, um, but the U.S. is uh, in, in in the middle of undertaking research. Um, and testing for uh, rockets that can now exceed the 500-kilometer limit of the INF Treaty uh, and could be fitted, uh, retrofitted to this HEMA system. Um, and so now this, this system is currently still, um, after Talisman Sabre ended, the U.S. left this system in Australia. It's up in Darwin. It's being used by the Marine Air Ground Task Force there. Um, and the Australian forces are being, um, are being trained uh, to, to use this system in a command and control um, responsibility. Uh, which is, I mean, that system in particular is really important, uh, a central part of, of uh, America's strategic doctrine for countering uh, China's anti-access area denial strategy for uh, preventing uh, U.S. forces from operating in its air and maritime approaches. So on, on all levels, on military levels, on um, training, in, in, in terms of intelligence, uh, there is um, Pine Gap, uh, of course, which is the most important U.S. signals intelligence facility outside of the continental United States, uh, just 40 kilometres outside of Alice Springs, uh, that integrates Australia into into U.S. force war fighting in a number of different ways, um, including in nuclear warfare, space warfare, drone warfare. Um, so Australia really is thoroughly integrated at at, at all levels um, with the United States, and as I said, it makes it very difficult for Australia to extricate itself from any potential future U.S. war. And it also makes it very difficult for Australia to conduct its own independent military operations uh, without uh, U.S. approval and support. Mm -hmm. So after the Mike Pompeo's comments, the PM Scott Morrison and Defence Minister Linda Reynolds were very quick to say that they weren't going to consider hosting these missiles and that no such request has been made by the U.S. But like you just said, these missiles are still under development. It hasn't been very long since the U.S. withdrew from the INF. US has these, And um, some commentators, including yourself, have said that this is not the end of the story. Australia may find itself under pressure again in a few years. So what are some, um, you know, red flags? So there's obviously the HIMARS system being left in Australia, the U.S. De developing more missiles. What are some other reasons that you think this is not the end of the story? Right. So, um, you know, uh, uh, initially, um, uh, Defence Minister Linda uh, Reynolds and uh, Foreign Minister Maurice Payne, uh, when they were asked about the potential for Australia uh, to host uh, missiles in conversation with uh, Secretary of Defence uh, Mike Pompeo when he was here during the Osmin consultations, uh, they equivocated. They didn't give a very clear answer uh, and it almost left open the possibility. Um, when this was kind of picked up in the media, uh, Scott Morrison comes out um, uh, the next day saying, look, there's never been a request, there hasn't been a request, uh, we can rule a line under this discussion, um, this is not happening. Uh, and then uh, a couple of days later, uh, uh, Defence Secretary Esper 
is asked about this on his way back to the United States, um, and he's asked, you know, what's what, you know, what, what's going on with missiles in Australia, and he says, look, you know, of course there's no decisions made about hosting missiles. These missiles aren't even ready yet. They're going to take a number of years uh, to develop, uh, and during that time we'll be having discussions uh, and dialogues with our alliance partners to determine where the best place to uh, would be to um, to host these missiles. So it's clear the United States has an intention. They've declared, declared an expressed intention to increase um, these types of missile deployments in and around the Indo-Pacific. Where they will be finally um, is is still in discussion. Uh, but there is certainly the, the likelihood because of Darwin's um, importance in terms of a, a strategic location. And as I mentioned, we're already... Um, integrating with the United States in terms of military doctrine uh, and other systems, launches, missile launches, which could be retrofitted uh, with um, with shorter range or medium range uh, missiles, which would have been prescribed under the INF Treaty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, um, But on the other hand, we have Defence Minister Linda Reynolds stating that Australia has a very strong relationship with China. And Maurice Payne even went so far as to call China a vitally important ally. So it's safe to say that Australia would have a lot to lose, especially economically, from such an immense provocation. So is this, uh, given a history of just following US in whatever foreign uh, manoeuvres they choose to embark on, is this a new strategic development that Australia didn't see coming, uh, an environment where Australia finds itself wedged between its most important ally and its strongest trading partner? Yes, yeah, so there's been a lot of discussion, debate for almost a decade now about conundrum that Australia is finding itself in between uh, its most important trade partner, uh, China, its, its most important strategic partner, the United States. Uh, but Australia effectively has already chosen the US side uh, mm-hmm. in, this, in this contest, and it did so you know, several years ago. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Barack Obama and Julia Gillard uh, made a very significant symbolic announcement uh, about integrating Australia into US's uh, pivot, Obama administration's uh, pivot to Asia region in order to contest China's rise, uh, the Marine Air Ground Task Force that is permanently rotating through Darwin, uh, the increase in, in access um, and uh, for, for of the US to Australian um, uh, air bases and facilities, the dramatic increase in the scope uh, of operations of uh, the U.S. intelligence uh, facility at Pine Gap. Um, you know, as I mentioned, on, on a number of different levels, Australia and the, and the United States have rapidly accelerated their integration with one another over several years. That, from China's perspective, it's very clear that Australia has already chosen sides in this conflict. Now, that doesn't mean we have to follow all U.S. actions and, and ones that are, um, you know, overtly provocative. Uh, so Australia, for example, has refused U.S. requests to undertake freedom of navigation uh, operations in uh, islands that uh, China claims is its sovereign territory, but uh, are disputed. Uh, and this is highly provocative. It's only the United States, and I think it's the U.K. that undertake uh, such operations. Uh, so Australia has kind of resisted that pressure. Uh, and it's certainly possible that Australia might resist the pressure to host um, um, intermediate-range uh, missiles in Australia as well, because, again, that would be highly provocative. But uh, in you know in, in almost every uh, other area, Australia has already uh, quite clearly decided that it's going to uh, align itself uh, with the United States. Now we could change that, of course, at any time. Mm-hmm. Australia is a sovereign country; it could make a different decision. Uh, but all indications so far is Australia is um, is uh, continuing to integrate itself into the United States 
uh, and potentially jeopardising its relationship uh, with China. It's trying to play this balancing game, mm-hmm. uh, but it's going to come under increasing pressure in, 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 in years ahead as the uh, conflict between the US and China heats up to make um, more overt actions, more definitive overt actions in its alliance with the United States. And I think it's going to be unavoidable, unavoidable sorry, uh, that there'll be some kind of uh, retaliation from, from China. So are there any diplomatic pathways that Australia could pursue in this environment? Absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, these are, these are decisions that Australia has made, which are you know, difficult, uh, I would say, to, to reverse because of Australia's long-standing and strong uh, alliance relationship with the United States and because of the deep level of, of integration. Uh, but they are theoretically reversible. Um, uh, Malcolm Fraser, former Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser, uh, in his book Dangerous Allies a number of years ago, uh, pointed uh, to a, a, a potential way forward for Australia to limit its, um, its alliance relationship with the United States and to kind of disentangle itself um, from that alliance and any potential uh, future war uh, with China. So there have been, um, there have been uh, a number of people who have put forward uh, proposals for uh, Australia moving forward to undertake more independent and peaceful Australian foreign policy. But it's not, it's not going to come willingly at the, level, uh, at the political level. There is a strong level of bipartisan commitment um, and has been for a long time uh, to Australia's alliance with the United States. We've talked a lot about the military and, um, and intelligence integration uh, with the United States, but the political level as well. Um, there is ideological commitment, a high-level ideological commitment amongst both, both major parties uh, to, uh, to the alliance. And I can only see uh, a change or a break uh, in that occurring uh, in the context of uh, pressure from below. Uh, so it would take you know, grassroots uh, civil society organisations, uh, a change in public opinion uh, as well. Uh, public opinion generally is is supportive of Australia's alliance with the United States. Although when you get down to asking specific questions, such as should Australia join the US in a war uh, with China in East Asia, uh, you get support you know, dropping off uh, quite significantly. Uh, but over, uh, overall, there's general support uh, for Australia's alliance with the United States amongst the Australian public. So a kind of shift in all of that would, would have to take place. Uh, before we could, we could see some uh, change um, at the at the diplomatic and political level. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there any grassroots movements ex- like currently going on or campaigns that people could get involved in if they're concerned about this development? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's the one we already mentioned, the uh, IPAN Independent Peaceful Australia Network, um, specifically in relation to Australia's integration to the United States. Uh, in terms of its uh, nuclear forces, uh, there's, uh, of course, ICANN. Um, and uh, ICANN is actually an Australian-based uh, uh, organisation. It was set up in 2007. Um, and it had a great uh, victory a couple of years ago when it had for the first time, it helped to facilitate for the first time a uh, resolution through, through the United Nations uh, to, ban, uh, to ban nuclear weapons and to make them illegal. This is the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. So, uh, of course, in this space, in terms of uh, in terms of weapon systems and missile ballistic systems, uh, ICANN is, is very much involved. And they just released a landmark report uh, recently, explaining how uh, Australia could uh, could um, come into alignment uh, with that treaty um, while making changes to its uh, alliance relationship with the United States uh, in terms of our strategic uh, defence doctrine with respect to nuclear weapons. Uh, but also in terms of uh, of the Pine Gap intelligence facility, 
um, winding back um, some of those um, some of those elements of that facility that would participate in any potential nuclear conflict. Um, so there are small steps, and there are and there are much larger long-term steps that that um, that Australia could take. And there are various organisations, um, you know, in the peace movement that are that are working towards that. Okay, great. Well, that's all we've got time for today. And is there anything else you would like to add on this issue before we wrap up? Uh, no, just just that it's um, you know it's a very uh, urgent and uh, serious uh, crisis that I think not just Australia faces, but um, as a, as a global community. Uh, that we face the, the increasing likelihood of war, uh, not just conventional war, but nuclear war. Uh, and I think that uh, during the Cold War, there was a, particularly during the latter years, there was a recognition um, that uh, such um, such risks um, uh, meant that there was a danger, you know, not just to those countries involved, but to, to the entire world. Um, you know, nuclear weapons uh, constitute a uh, an existential risk uh, to all of humanity, um, and uh, we're at the point now where uh, things are are just as dangerous, in some ways even more uh, dangerous than they were at the height of the Cold War, which is really extraordinary. And I think a lot of people don't recognise that risk, and mm-hmm. Australia should be doing everything it can to to, to mitigate that risk, mm-hmm. um, to reduce it, um, and and unfortunately we're we're kind of going in the opposite direction. Thanks for that, Vince. It was great to have you on the show. Great, it was my pleasure. We just had an interview with Vince Capitura on the increasing pressure Australia might find itself in the future to host US missiles in the Northern Territory and the need for Australia to draw a line in its allyship with the US if it's to untangle itself from any future wars with its greatest trading partner, China. Vince's recent book, The US Lobby and the Australian Defence Policy, goes into great detail about the nature of Australia's strategic relationship with the US and is a highly recommended read for those interested in the increasing Australian and US military integration and its implications for peace in our region. And that's all we've got time for today on The Rad Show, produced with the support of Friends of the Earth's Melbourne's Nuclear Free Collective in the studios of 3CR and Fitzroy on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. The Radioactive Show is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. You can podcast this episode on www.3cr.org.au slash radioactive. Thanks for listening and keep tuning in for nuclear, peace and clean energy news and views.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.